0: So hey everybody, welcome to episode 216 of the More Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I am in Toronto, Ontario. I'm joined as usual by Hyman Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And also have Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. Alrighty. So what do we got? Uh for TJC there, honey,
1: We've got a couple from Paul Wilkinson, a friend of the show at Paul Wilco, who uh, is talking about the eSIM stuff that we were mentioning. Um, Yeah. He says here in the first tweet that eSIM is a carrier thing, not an Apple thing. As yet, none of the three Australian mobile networks support it for phones, but all three do for the Apple Watch. I expect they are working on it. Which is kind of an interesting thing that they would do it for the watch and not necessarily for the phones. I wonder what the the holdup is there. Um, The second tweet that's on uh, somewhat related there, is that uh, Australian retail prices include our 10% sales tax. Once you remove the tax, the Australian price for a base iPhone XS comes out at about US uh, 1046, about $50 more, but we have a small population and a minimum wage of about US $13. So costs here are higher.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, based on my comment, I, my, I'm, again, my information may have been old, but I do remember talking to some uh, pals from Australia about the fact that uh, they pay a lot, or and Europe, I think Europe pays a lot for apple gear as well but it's good to say i mean like you know and i've mentioned many times before for some, for some reason apple gear just add 50 bucks to the u.s price and then convert it to canadian is what works up here too so cool what else we got for ask mtjc do you want to take these these are uh, both yours well yeah yeah was, this is me tongue firmly planted in cheek i got my 50th anniversary t-shirt from uh, buzz aldrin himself and i put out my tweet saying i got my apollo x i <laughs> t-shirt uh or I put X1 actually in the tweet, but, uh, yeah, just playing on the fact that people cannot get their heads around the fact that, you know, it's iPhone 10 or iPhone 11 or whatever, right? So. Right. The Apollo uh, I 10i. Just, yeah. And I remembered that, or your yeah, Xi, right? Uh, and I remember that, um, I think, I think it was around the time of Apollo, the Apollo missions that I first learned my Roman numerals when I learned that, you know, X was 10 and, you know, Xi was 11 and so on and so forth, right? So, because all of the missions were Apollo with a, it was always spelt with, um, Roman numerals. Never a number. That's cool. So, yeah, and uh, these t-shirts are available from uh, Buzz Aldrin's website. I forget the name of it. I'll put it in show notes a link to it. And uh, you can, if you're interested in getting an Apollo t-shirt for the 50th anniversary, which is coming up in next July. No, yeah, it's July, right, um, of next year. was the 50th anniversary. So, And of course, you know, this weekend, the first Man movie opens up as well. So the second uh, one, second uh, Ask TJC, and I just I tagged this uh, in here, was I got an email again today from uh, Wikipedia. I get one every year every year I donate a little bit of money to Wikipedia because I don't know about you guys but I use Wikipedia all the time and uh, it's not a place that makes money they don't have ads and stuff like that I I think they have minimal ads if they have ads at all but yeah they need your money to to keep it going so I'm happy to send you know 20 bucks or 50 bucks or whatever whatever it takes to help support them in their efforts to keep you know our uh, knowledge going so, yeah, support Wikipedia. Link in the show notes. And that's it for me. So what do we get for follow-up? How I many you got something here about betas? Yeah, we were talking about the fact that TestFlight now allows you to have betas
1: where you can invite people with something as simple as a link. Right. And people have taken that idea and run with it. So publicbetas.com is... I don't see the about, um, hmm. but as a place where you can add your public beta link. So if you wanted other people to try out your app and get the word out, uh, right at the recording of this show, we have, uh, the top three that I see. I assume that the top three, they're like, uh, on fire here are Mojo hackers for hacker news and Snapchat has an iOS beta out available. So, um,
2: again, yeah, I, I, those, I would... those are not the ones that I see. Oh, really? It's yeah, a, it's mine a are list? Todoist, Mojo, and Telegram Messenger. Yeah,
0: same here. Oh, interesting. I wonder if maybe it's personalized in any way. Let's try refreshing, honey. Oh, ah, yeah, there you go.
1: Wait, is it random? So I do Todoist, Mojo, Telegram
0: Messenger. That's what I have, too.
1: Yeah. Oh, okay. I,
0: okay, So I, I opened up this tab uh, maybe 10 minutes ago, so I wonder if it's changed in real time. Hmm. <laughs> cool. Well, my follow-up on that is that uh, James Thompson sent me um, a public beta to test out the new uh, pCalc, and uh, yeah, so it's cool. All right, that's that's a neat neat idea to throw that out there. What else you got there for Jaime?
1: Yeah, I'm <laughs> not even sure how much to say about this story, but. Uh, a what, another leaked. leak? I can't believe it. Well, it's weird because it, it, it's technically not a breach, um, at least as far as we know. But Google Plus is uh, shutting down after a data leak that affects 500,000 users. Uh, apparently Google knew about this for a while and uh, had patched it at some point, decided to not disclose it because it's sort of a bad time for, for data breaches and, and public relations. If you can think about Equifax and probably Cambridge Analytica related to Facebook, um, they decided not to disclose, as far as they could tell, and granted, the huge caveat is they only keep two weeks of logs. So all they can verify is that within that two week period, they looked at nobody took advantage of this um oh, sure. privacy uh, <laughs> hole here. So they're planning. Well, it wasn't technically a breach because we didn't see any you know intrusion. You know, you could leave your door unlocked, and if nobody comes in, you know, you didn't have a robbery. But yeah, okay. But I'd still blame the doorman for not locking the door if he doesn't do it right. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's sort of a sad end to the Google Plus social network experiment. And, and Google is sort of weirdly slamming it itself by saying, oh, well, you know, uh, 90% of users have sessions that are less than five seconds. Like, well, okay, but that doesn't mean that the, the privacy aspect isn't, um, you know, something to just sneeze at. And, and Congress, the U.S. Congress, is uh,
0: apparently starting to talk about uh, investigating this situation. Interesting. So I, I, th- I thought they were shutting down while they explored this, but you're saying they're shutting the service down completely? The uh, To be clear, it's the public-facing side. I, I don't know what the
1: non-public side is. I don't know if there's like an enterprise thing or like a business uh, class or something related to it. Maybe. Yeah. Um, most folks probably remember Google Plus from the... Um, I'm almost certain at some point during our show many years ago, I pulled up this probably this same exact image, and we'll have it in the show notes. For those of you driving at home, which is a three-panel comic, uh, it shows uh, a little child as uh, representing Google Plus And their parent, represented by Google, and says, Papa, why did they not love me? I do not know, little one, but it is of no concern. I will make them love you. (laughs) With a really weird, creepy thing. And it it seems perfectly appropriate here that that's what Google was trying to do. They shoved Google Plus everywhere, uh, most notably forcing it to be a login mechanism for YouTube, which had its own completely separate identity system. Everybody got really Mm -hmm. angry. They shoved it into everything. They were, if you remember, in 2011, they were woefully uh, behind Facebook as. As far as they could tell, with relation to owning people's sort of social network and information, and were completely afraid of being locked out of all information if the internet became synonymous with Facebook. Didn't really turn out 100% that way. It, it turned out slightly different. Google is obviously doing fine and well and dandy as a company, but Google Plus, at least as far as you as a consumer are concerned, is no more. And your data may or may not have been leaked. I'm not a lawyer or a security person.
2: I'm, su- I'm surprised to hear that they still had 500,000 users actually at this point
1: well the the login sorry the uh, the usage <laughs> information that they said you know 90% of sessions are five seconds or less really heavily implies that people are using it as some sort of login mechanism somewhere yeah true so it, it seems like uh, nobody's seriously using it uh, I do know that there are groups out there that use it for like um, beta like public beta channels on their Android phone uh, sorry Android apps but uh, as far as the average person on the street, there's there's just no way they they lost the battle to Facebook and Snapchat and Twitter and everybody else.
0: Yeah, I know a few sites that I'm connected to that use my Google profile, Google Plus profile as as a sort of like a byline thing for my my uh, who I am and all that kind of stuff. But it's interesting. I didn't talk about this um, last week, but um, on the second of October, my article on 360iDev came out, and the reason I bring it up is because Rob Napier's talk. He always talks about security, and his talk was called Security and Lies, and it was ta- he was talking about how there's two different kinds of security. One is where you sort of obfuscate things and you encrypt things and you you know use secure keys and you know all that kind of stuff. The other is security through obscurity, right? And that like the example he gave was that you know the the Americans used Navajo talkers to encrypt messages and decrypt them, right? And whereas the you know the uh, Germans took a more traditional route and came up with a, you know the, the Enigma machine, in which eventually the British allies or, or Alan Turner, and the British um, hacked and, and figured out how to decrypt the things. But in the entire time that the um, the Navajo talkers were being used by the American Army to encrypt messages, no one ever cracked their code, right? And all it was was just they were talking in their own na- native language and it was through the obscurity of the language that they were able to keep the data secure. And this kind of sort of sounds like what you were saying with, with Google. They kind of knew there was a problem, but they kind of just kept quiet about it. And th- another example from the talk was the uh, manufacturer of, of locks you know keys and locks right and um, there's been a flaw in keys and locks for for hundred years or more that ever since they were invented um, by Alf- Alfred Charles Hobbes in 1800s that you know in some cases you can actually take it uh, you can actually hack a key to make it into a master key and open multiple locks uh, based on the same key set um, and they're they're easily easy to pick and yet the whole um, the whole uh, lock manufacturing network network of people just didn't want people to know about this. So to this day, keys and locks in, in, in Mill's cases are, are easily hackable and and break and they're not secure, right? It's just that they don't publish the information on how to, you know, uh, and they're, they're saying, why are you telling people this? Like, because it's through this obscurity. So it's kind of sad, a sad state of security that it is it is security, it is security secure in the fact that nobody kind of knows about it, but it's eventually going to catch up with them, right? So. Well,
2: it's sort of even worse than that if you go to the hardware store and buy one of those say a master lock with a key yeah uh you you think that they actually make every single one of those locks has a unique key no no way, I don't. No way. they probably have i don't know a few hundred different keys that they scatter around the, the country yeah. and they're just counting on the fact that no one's gonna collect every possible key and and spend the time trying every possible key on your on your lock to try to open it but but somebody else has the key to your lock no matter what you get
0: it's up. yeah exactly like i remember hearing Hearing, about people like you could walk up to any. If you had a Honda key, you could walk up to you know a Honda, and you know it, chances are you could open that Honda and start the car, right? Which is why they went to to having things like immobilizer chips and stuff like that in in the circuitry to you know to prevent that kind of thing. But yeah, it's 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 just it's kind of funny that you know this is the same sort of thing. Well, we're secure because nobody knows it's it. There's a it's vulnerable, right? Uh, it's comical. I mean, interesting interesting video there. I've got a talk on the on the Ray Wonderlic, Ray Wonderlic website called 360 uh, IDEV. Uh, conference highlights. Um, So check it out if you have the time and I'll put a link in the show notes to that. But it's a good talk on security.
2: I I always thought of uh, security by obscurity in a slightly different way. I always thought of it as, you know, say you have your computer and it's on a network somewhere and it's completely unprotected. Uh, If you don't do something to attract attention to yourself, chances are that no one's going to hack you just because there's people out there. If you don't attract attract attention to yourself, they're not going to know you're there. Of course, it's always possible that they'll stumble on you or, or try to, do some just massive search to find you, and then try to hack you. But the odds against that are, are pretty high. So That's true. You know, That's it's, true. as like I said, as long as you don't do something to attract attention to yourself or go to the wrong place, you're probably actually okay, even with no well, security.
0: Yeah, there's even there's even sort of a side twist to that. Uh, in that, um, I used to war, we had our house broken into about the second year we were living in in this neighborhood because we're right down Tor- downtown Toronto, and you know, kids, you know, there are little alleyways and stuff like that around the neighborhood. Where, you know, kids can hide and take their time to break into a house. But um, so a friend of mine who works in the security industry said, "Well, the first thing you do is you put security stickers on your windows, right? Mm. Because they're they're less likely to try and break into a house that may have a security system than one, than one that doesn't have." Yeah, you know. You remember so.
2: a lot of cars used to have a little, uh, just a little flashing LED that did absolutely yeah. nothing except yep. except that it wasn't actually an alarm, but people would think that maybe that's an alarm, so I better not mess with this car because there's a, another car right here that doesn't have a little flashing LED.
0: Yeah, yeah. well, I know I know a, a friend of mine who lives in New York City. I, I don't know if it's still true, but he used to have a car, and he, he said you put a sign in the window that said "No Radio, No Money, No Cash," and the doors are unlocked. Yeah, because because it, it's a pain in the ass if somebody breaks your window. You get cost you 250 bucks to you know replace your window, right? Yeah, yeah, you know, and and you know your car is going to get broken into, so just open, leave the doors open, you know. Like, <laughs> what's the worst that can happen? Somebody will sleep in your car, right?
2: Anyhow. Well, mother might steal your car. Well, depends on whether you care about your car getting stolen. Well,
0: but then again, you don't. You don't have like you know if you have a decent car, you wouldn't leave it on the street, parked in New York, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know if you remember the story. Like back in the day, it used to be a joke that you would leave your car and and come back and find it up on cinder blocks, right? Because they would steal your wheels. Sure. That that happened to my wife once. She had her her wheel stolen in the parking lot once during Christmas, which is what? (laughs) Somebody had a flat or something, you know, whatever. Security by convenience, I guess. Yeah. All right. So what's next? You got? Oh, speaking of Facebook, I mean. <laughs> right. It's just in line
1: in time for all sorts of goodness related to data privacy questions. Um, Facebook has unveiled its own smart displays, which are very similar to the Amazon Echo Show and competitor from An Apple Google. FaceTime.
0: Yeah. You can imagine they're
1: little uh, screen devices that have cameras on them, and you can communicate with our video chat with friends and family using Facebook Messenger. They've done some sort of interesting things in that they've uh, apparently trained the camera so that it will try to keep your face in focus and in frame. So you don't have to worry about sort of awkwardly framing yourself within the video. Uh, and they show you, you know, you can move around and it will sort of Hollywood camera style, try to pan in on you. And their larger device, the uh, it's like, how many inches is it like 15 inch? Yeah. 15 inch device has a uh rotatable vertical sort of portrait mode that also can rotate to follow you around a room they show this person like walking around the kitchen for example and it's rotating to keep them in frame uh, which would be sort of weird in and of itself but given i think people's uh, sort of opinion on facebook in general much uh, much more so nowadays it seems a little ill-advised and i, I can't yeah. imagine a ton of people clamoring to have this uh even though they're uh 199 and 349 respectively uh,
0: people will buy it That's- the worst part about it you know
1: yeah um it does uh, interestingly enough have sort of its own little assistant system but also has the amazon alexa um, voice assistant on there as well i don't have a lot of yeah i don't have a lot of information on that um, it, it is something that amazon provides as a like an sdk i don't know if you have, it's open or if you have to be like a partner to, to put it on devices but um it's from what i can tell reasonably close to the full sort of echo experience not quite as tightly integrated for things like purchasing i think so it's more like a question and answer sort of service. I'm, I'm not sure. I, I do know that there are devices out there that have licensed it. Like um, Sonos is one that comes to mind as an as a obvious competitor and very similar to the way that Google's assistant is not only on its own recently announced Google Home Hub, but also on Lenovo and JBL's display devices. Very similar
0: to this. Yeah, so that's definitely a question. Like, why would people give Facebook more data? But they will.
1: Yeah. <laughs> the, the rumor is that this was supposed to come out last year, and then Cambridge Analytica happened and. Facebook wisely, delayed it. I think if it was, as I've mentioned many times on the show over the years, if I had a consultancy that, you know, I charged $10,000 per hour and companies can just ask me like, Hey, do you think this is a good idea? Should we do this? And I could just say yes or no. This is one I definitely would have said no to last year, this year, if they said, look, we we have to use up the manufacturing capacity. Otherwise the producer in China is going to give it to somebody else and we'll have lost all this money. All right, let's rebrand this and let's put some Instagram stickers on this thing and not, put facebook on it let's make it more of a uh connect with influencers like lady gaga or philip DeFranco, the rock you know that sort of thing and, and people can join into this like huge multi chat sort of thing uh like oh let's let's go chat with the participants who didn't win on the voice and let's understand their experience you know that sort of thing is
0: where i would have gone hmm. with it crazy All right. Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. So we have a new scale out there in in the world of computing, um, and this is sort of tongue firmly planted in cheek. And this relates back to the public betas that Jaime was talking about. But uh, I got a public beta from James Thompson for the uh, pCalc app, so I could try out the uh, uh, new emoji kind of style animation that he's got on the phone. He's got this little guy named Pascal who's like a... Sort of, I think he's a panda bear um, who is like a sort of like a Tamagotchi kind of thing. You look at it different times a day, and it has different animations. But there's an Easter egg in the P Calc app on the watch. If you go into the, if you type in 42 on the calculator and you click and you press and you force press on the screen and go to info, uh, you get like a 42 circle, like a, like an icon, and you can spin it by swiping back and forth on your. um, on your uh, display, and, and it, it animates really quickly. It's if you put it in there, sort of a test to, to test the speed of the animation on the Apple Watch. This is for the Series Four watch, and there's a button in the corner that, if you press the button, you can get up to a hundred bananas falling on the shield that you've uh, been spinning, and uh, it's a pretty quick animation. And I think you just did it again as a sort of a proof of concept to show that um, you know you, how quickly you can generate a hundred bananas and have them fall with gravity on onto the, <laughs> the bottom of the screen. Um, so yeah, so we're, I'm proposing that we have a new scale of performance and how many bananas you can have fall on something. You know, in terms of processor performance. So there you go, bananas.
2: Well, if you're going to propose that, you have to write the test bench.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Shocker! The iPhone XS is better than the Mac Pro at producing bananas.
0: <laughs> how do I? How do I write that test bench?
2: Start. Start learning. Uh, scene Kit.
0: Oh, SceneKit, Kit. Yeah, yeah. All right. Okay. Well, I already know a bit about SceneKit. Kit. Anyway, moving on to f- more follow-up. So last week again, we talked about Shakib, uh Sheikh. Uh, Sheikh Sheik is his name. Um, he was interviewed on Spark on CBC Radio on uh, Sunday's show. So I've put a link to the uh, interview here. Uh, you can listen to and hear more from the speaker's mouth himself. Uh, he's the he says uh, uh, the title of the show is I made the app that I wanted, and he basically it's it's using AI to describe the world to him, which he can't see because he's visually impaired, completely blind. Um, But yeah, so he built this app using Microsoft Technology Works. He's an engineer at Microsoft. And uh, so just an article here, interview by him, if you're interested in following up on that story. It's kind of cool.
1: This is really long-term follow-up. I think you mean it as follow-up from last week or maybe two episodes ago.
0: Two weeks ago, I mentioned him for the first time. Last week, it was a fact check, and this week, it's it's follow-up. So
1: yeah. Now that I see this cbc
0: page it's even yeah. longer
1: term follow-up because i remember this app i think it was a pick of the week i had at some point oh really we were talking about um let's see if it was around ML coming out probably so like a year or two ago mm-hmm. i remember that seeing and talking app and sh- the little photo they show at the top of oh yeah no, no, no yeah the, the
0: the c the c yeah that that thing that app uh yeah um i mentioned it last week i've actually got that on my phone so when he was doing his, his talk at uh, elevate uh, conference that i went to a couple of weeks ago i i pulled it out and said, Oh yeah, I remember this guy. Yeah. C- I- seeing IAI is called or something like that or. Yeah. I, I didn't remember the name, but looking at the yeah, photo seeing at AI, the very AI, top AI. of this,
1: this post, I'm like, Oh yeah, I remember that app from Microsoft from their uh, labs or garage team. I forget what they call them.
0: Yeah. So what does Greg great call this Evergreen follow-up. I forget what he calls it. <laughs> we, have one, we have a long-term one like this. Yeah. With a long, with a long enough scale, everything is eventually follow-up. That's true. That's true. Yeah. So there you go. Just more follow-up. And speaking of more follow-up, but wait, there's more. How much more would you pay? Um, Luna Display, which we talked about uh, a couple of times, actually uh, many times. Actually, they're the people who make um, AstroPad for the uh, which we talked about when I got my my iPad Pro using the Apple Pencil. I could you know draw in Photoshop you know on my Mac, but I could have a, the Luna screen uh, or AstroPad as the as sort of a virtual second screen, using it like a Wacom tablet. And they came out with a piece of hardware which they you stick it into your uh, Thunderbolt port or your uh, uh, one of you. USB-C slots on if you have a, a late model MacBook or MacBook Pro, um, but this product is now shipping and uh, available in both Thunderbolt and USB-C, and uh, lets your iPad be a second monitor on your uh, on your Mac, or actually mirror the mirror the monitor on your Mac, so you can actually sit on the couch and and drive your Mac remotely across you know your uh, your home network, so or I guess Wi-Fi network or Bluetooth network, and we and again it's double follow up because he was also uh, interviewed on on uh roundabout creative chaos by tammy and myself a few months ago so just a link in the show notes quick one quick follow-up from that one so what's next i this one i'm going to talk a little bit about and then probably pass it off to mark to talk about the
1: implications um this is something coming out of um what is the, what is the first name is it michael sai yeah there we go michael sai uh click running up some issues that people are having with ios 12 and core data external binary data storage and mm. so the the claim here is that um somebody was having an issue where using the external storage option, and my understanding is people would tend to use it for large blobs of some sort, like videos and images that you wouldn't necessarily want to store in the database itself within Core Data to uh, for performance reasons, but you would have it referenced separately so it could be pulled up when you use Core Data as you do every day. Um, apparently, the information would get corrupted or go missing on every second save of the context, which is like a huge issue that people are, are wrestling with right now. And there's several links wrapped up into this one report. Port. So something to know about for sure.
2: Yeah, this is pretty bad. I, I haven't been hit by this myself because I'm not using external binary data storage, but uh, I could easily see it hurting a, a lot of people. I mean, it's so it's it's a pretty typical thing to do if you you deal with photos or videos or whatever uh, to keep a, a reference uh, to to your binary data in your core data database or your SQL database, and then just you look up the reference and and use that as a say a URL to to open your file uh, and in Theory core data makes it much much easier to do that than it would normally be uh, with this external binary data storage. It, it basically gives you a record that stores that stores this uh, this this uh, this link to your data, uh, but does it transparently. So you you give core data your your data and it puts it somewhere and uh, keeps the reference internally. So if you look up your your object, you just you get your your binary data back without having to get the reference and then load it yourself. So it's Seems like it would be an incredibly convenient and useful thing to do, uh, but if it does this, if it loses the data, that's that's pretty bad. And apparently, it's not as it's not as uh, simple as you know. It's just the the reference is getting broken, and and the data is still there in your disk. Uh, from from what I've been reading, it's the data itself is actually getting corrupted, which is which is awful. So if you're if you have a say a photo storage app where you're just keeping people's photos, and this happens, then you know their photos are are just gone, pretty bad. So I, I've never actually used it myself, even though I've done this type of app, uh, mainly because I just never never was able to get it working in a, in a satisfactory way. Uh, you know, I would always kind of write my own to do the to do the lookups the way I just described. And I, I guess I uh, I was lucky that I didn't do that.
0: So Jaime, do you know if this is fixed in that 1201 update you're talking about? I have no idea. It's, um, that's a really good
1: question. As I'm looking at some of the updates since I uh, first read this article, it looks like some folks like uh, Colin Korn is saying that um, his team has tried reproducing it in their own apps and they can't. they're not saying it doesn't exist but that for some reason they can't reproduce it in their apps. Um, let me take a look at this article and my own little local update. I don't see anything listed here in the update, nor did I find it in the article, so it's a really good question. It might be one of those things that sort of get shadow updates uh, related to this. Like, maybe they end up closing a radar, uh, on open radar or something.
0: So what's the state of the uh, developer community there, honey?
1: This was a nifty link from JetBrains, the maker of all sorts of IDEs, um, including AppCode, the uh, alternative to Xcode that a lot of folks like to use. Um, if you know folks that use Android Studio, they're, they're mm-hmm. the makers of that. Um, they've got this survey here that was um, apparently shown to developers who chose Swift or Objective-C as their uh, one of their three primary programming languages. We got nifty charts talking about um, Swift and Objective-C usage such as Swift only, Objective-C only, or a combined Swift and Objective-C. And at least for this audience, it was about 54% Swift only, um, 30% Objective-C only, and the remainder of 16% Swift and Objective-C combined, which is sort of an interesting number to get to. Kind of no surprise, Apple platforms that are being develop for iOS is uh, king of the mountain. Um, people also develop for the Mac to a lesser degree, watchOS and tvOS rounding out things. There's probably some other stats that are interesting out there. Like it seems like people are staying relatively up to date with Swift. Um, 4.1 is 44% of the versions that are being used. 4 is 39%. And then some folks sort of uh, lagging behind at uh, 10 and 7% for Swift 3.1 and 3. And there's some other things. Uh, you can check out the link in the show notes. Um, I don't know if you guys had a chance to look this and see if there's any interesting, like, holy smokes, that didn't, that didn't uh, come to mind as something that people would do.
2: Yeah. One thing that kind of surprised me was, and now I'm trying to find it in here, I said earlier, uh, the numbers on how many people were using combined either Swift or Objective-C Objective C and C++ type solutions. Hmm. And uh, it was a pretty high number. Now I can't seem to find it, uh, but it's in here somewhere. And it, it was much higher than expected. And but I,
0: I Oh, I see. It's not a chart. It's actually a gray bar. Yeah, 33. 30. Thirty-six percent of Swift developers have C plus code or libs in their projects. Is that one?
2: Yeah, I thought there was a uh, thought there was more info, but, but yeah, okay. So that yeah, yeah. So I see that. Yeah, yeah. So I, I kind of wonder if the audience here is a bit self-selecting. So this is this was a, a poll of people who are users of of uh, JetBrains tools, I think, or or at least they're on some type of JetBrains mailing list or or, mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, and uh, you know, I know that. At my company, for example, a lot of people use C Lion, which is their C IDE. Uh, right. So, so I, I kind of suspect that they're self-selecting the user base to to make those numbers higher. Not, i I'm not, I don't mean to imply that they're. <laughs> I don't mean to imply that they're picking and the picking the users. I, I just mean that the the people who chose to respond to the survey are more likely to be ones who are using t- uh, cross-platform tools because they're already JetBrains customers. If you follow hmm. what I'm saying uh yeah. so pro- I think a lot of the the pure ios developers who are doing everything in swift or everything in objective C they don't have really a whole lot of use for the tools that JetBrains is making so they wouldn't be likely to show up in this survey so so I would I I would take these numbers with a little bit of a grain of salt
1: yeah I do I do agree that it's probably ends up being skewed like I'm not surprised that there are um fewer users uh, developers in swift that use C++ code or libraries as opposed to objective-c developers. If only because integrating Swift and C++ can be sort of painful, Um, but these specific numbers uh, do seem like they would probably be skewed by, as you mentioned, the, the specific audience for this survey.
2: Yep. Yep. These guys, by the way, I don't know if you mentioned it, are the ones who also developed Kotlin, which is the alternative language to Java for doing Android apps.
1: Right, right. It's sort of our uh, sister language. You look at a line of, or several lines of Kotlin and Swift, and you may not be able to tell the two apart depending right. on what somebody has written.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there was an interesting thing. I don't know if you guys saw this at all, but I, I started seeing signs of, of uh, uh, this first article that came, these the next three articles are, are related, um, that Apple was, Apple was telling Congress that it found no signs. Of, of a hacking attack. So I started looking into it and I found that there was an article on Bloomberg which talks about the big hack, as they call it. And and there are tons of stories, that, there tons of websites and things like that picked up on this story. And I kind of wonder if it's kind of a fake news story or it's been blown out of proportion, but they're claiming that Chinese manufacturers have put a tiny chip onto most um, uh, motherboards that give them a back door into those motherboards or those boards, like whether it's the networking equipment or server boards and that kind of stuff, right? Um, and so, but what caught my eye was was this this sort of re, um, rebuttal to the thing. And, and this uh, just the other day, I found an article uh, actually from Apple's newsroom where they claimed that um, they were, like, according to uh, the Bloomberg article, you know, people at Apple were, were feeding information to Bloomberg, and, you know, Apple had been investigated by the FBI and so on and so forth. And so the statement from Apple that came out um, on the 4th talks about about how um, they were never contacted. That they have investigated things themselves, and they they don't have any any boor- of these boards that that Bloomberg claims uh, Apple's been using. Um, like one of them is a board made by uh, I forget that, I can't find the name right now. But Supermicro. Um, sorry, super micro. Super micro. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, and uh, they said they don't they don't have those boards in in the equipment that Bloomberg is claiming they do. They haven't been talking to the FBI. That that and you know so they were you know unlike Apple, they've come out and said that that they're not doing this kind of stuff. Uh, Apple usually keeps this kind of information to themselves. And uh, also a claim that um, Topsy, I'm not sure what Topsy is, but Topsy and Siri were on the same bunch of servers, and Apple's saying, well, Topsy and server have never actually been on the same couple, same servers at the same time, so I'm not sure what Topsy is. but um, So yeah, it's just sort of uh, um, Apple says here that before they put their, their equipment into practice, they, they keep track of it, and they monitor the net come the traffic coming in and out to make sure that everything's above board. So uh, kind of surprising that this article came out. And, and uh, like I said, I've, I Googled around uh, for the last couple of days, checking this out. And, and if you Google, you know, Chinese hack, you know, uh, Apple, um, and there's a couple of other manufacturers that are mentioned in here uh, in this original Bloomberg article. Um, there, are Like I said, there are tons of people out there talking about this particular thing. So I don't know if you guys had heard about this at all. Oh yeah, or?
2: This, is, this is huge news mm-hmm. here. here. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, okay. but as far as I know it's it's been pretty thoroughly debunked yeah. that it, that it was false. Uh, the there was there was an article that I read and I don't have it at the readily available, but uh, apparently there was there is a uh, security hardware security expert who basically teaches classes on theoretical threats to hardware. Or I don't know if he teaches a class, but it's you know hey, he has a seminar or whatever. And he was interviewed by the Bloomberg uh, author, the guy who wrote the article. Right. Yeah. Uh, and basically, he was saying theoretically, this this is how one might consider doing it. And uh, pretty much everything he said was in the article, the Bloomberg right. article, saying that this was happening. Uh, so you know, it seems it seems to be pretty pretty hard to believe that it could happen because I, I don't believe for a second that Apple isn't inspecting every single a representative board of every single piece of hardware that that comes through and. And right, yeah. I think they would detect it pretty quickly. I mean you can you can tell just probably by a visual inspection. I mean you know it's a, even though it's a small thing, you know, they have people looking at every single inch of that board under microscopes. And and you can probably tell electrically too, that thing has to draw power, especially if it's if it's a radio, it's gonna broadcast, right? It's 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 gonna it's gonna affect the performance in some way of the of the overall circuit, so in a presumably a detectable way if if you're paying attention. And and I have to think that Apple Apple's paying attention. So it doesn't really seem too plausible. And like I said, it seems to have been pretty debunked.
0: Right. Yeah. And and to follow up with what I was saying earlier, it's not just Apple. It's also uh, Amazon web services are sort of implied, you know, Olympic games is mentioned in here in this article as well. So, um, because like I said, what caught my eye was an article that basically said that that this is all, it wasn't being debunked. Like as you said, like it wasn't a true story or wasn't factual in a lot of different ways. So, yeah, and people were retorting it. So I just, you know, wonder if you guys had heard it and uh, heard about it, right? So, how many did you hear something about it? or You were going to say something? Or Let's not underplay Amazon's role in this too because they
1: also came out and very publicly and vehemently denied these claims. Um, and it's been interesting to see sort of the, the tech sphere of influence and, and how it sort of interprets this. There are people all over uh, the spectrum of, of like where they think on this. Um, to no one's surprise, people who are ardent Apple fans think like, no way, and heck, people who are uh, in the journalism or were in a journalist sort of space have been like, well, you know, you know, Bloomberg's a really well-respected place. And if they're, you know, doubling down on this, there must be something to it. And so I, r- I really don't know what to think. It, I mean, when I think of the um, what could possibly happen and, and who stands to lose, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a security expert. I would think, look, it, for Apple and Amazon, they're having to think about um, potential SEC violations if they say this is not true. And it turns out to be because that impacts uh, investors' ability to deal with things. Um, if they're going to get directly investigated by Congress, they have to tell the truth to Congress. Otherwise, you know, in both those cases, people are probably going to jail if they're doing the wrong thing. So I would say, what's the worst possible thing that could happen to Bloomberg? Eh, multimillion dollar lawsuit, whatever. They're more than large enough to deal with that risk. So I think if anybody's uh, not covering their bases appropriately and who has the, the most to gain with the least amount to lose, it's probably Bloomberg. Not to say that they're doing things maliciously. It, it certainly seems if more information has come out that somebody wildly misunderstood what was happening and put two things together that shouldn't have been put together. And, and then made a, a leaping conclusion. And, and I would look at things that have happened to very large, well-respected organizations like the New York times. I forget this, this private's name. I didn't want to say it was like private Lynch, Jessica Lynch. I want to say, uh, right around the, uh, the first Gulf war or second Gulf war. Um, they put out a story and they stood behind their reporter. It turns out that reporter like had some sort of problems and put out something that was patently false. So it can happen. Right, so I wouldn't be surprised if somebody—not uh, to say they put something out false, but just some confluence of things happened, and this story came out. And we are going to see something big coming out of it. I think. Hmm. Like, I'd be surprised if, if either Amazon or Apple just let this sit still. Right,
0: right. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens, well, how it plays out. Hmm. Yeah. Cool. All right. Um, so this is a minor one. I'm sure it's, maybe it's been fixed by now, but I, I heard that um, some people, I believe Aust- Australia. <laughs> I almost said Austria. Uh, um, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Australia, let me just look. Wait, wait for this. Yeah. Australians uh, are, are having some issues with the Apple series watch four uh, and daylight savings time because they, uh, I think they changed their clocks recently. I think we used to all change our clocks around this time of year, but uh, we, I think we're a couple of weeks away from daylight savings time switch right um, but yeah they're having some trouble with the modular face uh, that doesn't know how to handle uh, a day that's an hour short according to the as long as this particular complication is active so it's an interesting uh, little story there I haven't heard much more about it since uh, uh it came out Let's see yeah not much going on here but um it gets patched because
1: i just looked it up and for us in the united states and presumably canada in the same way ours will be sunday november 4th when we have the crossover right,
0: yeah. again so after halloween yeah mm-hmm.
1: i don't know um in his date and calendar and components and all the other stuff it's yeah. hard <laughs> I know, we've always said that. God, God I'm not surprised.
0: The themes of the (laughs) The show, right?
1: (laughs) Daylight Saving Time bug, uh, especially across different geographies, must be
0: maddening and insane. Sure, sure. All right. Um... So, I mean, you got the, the one about the uh, fix for uh, uh, 1201?
1: Yeah, well, some stuff in here um, I have not yet updated, so I have no opinion on it. My Your mileage may vary, but mm-hmm. it says here that it fixes an issue where some iPhone XS devices did not immediately charge when connected to a lightning cable, which uh, I don't have a XS, but my ten, I, I swear, I mean, maybe it's just a coincidence that maybe my, my lightning cable is old and, and busted and I should switch to a new one, but sometimes it feels like it doesn't want to charge either until i look at it you know pull it up look at it and it's like oh charging all right thanks <laughs> um nice, apparently it yeah. also resolves an issue that could cause the iphone 10s to join a new wi-fi network at 2.4 gigahertz instead of the desired five gigahertz mm-hmm. Oh, I'll have to update my iPad. It says it restores the original position of the period question mark one two three key on the key on the iPad keyboard. I must not type that often on my iPad because I have no idea what they're talking about. I have to pull that out and
0: take a look. The position of the one two three key. Yeah. What the heck is that? Yeah. Is it is it in a weird spot? I feel like it
1: was in know. in the same spot unless they they adjusted it subtly. And people who are trying to almost like touch type based on the area where it should be were mistyping it. I don't I don't know. Know. Let me have a look at
0: my iPad right here. Um, yeah, just as a, a side note, uh, Carol uh, went to. Oh yeah, it is a one two three key. Look at that. Is it in a weird spot? It's it's on either side of the, it's where where the command where the command key would be on um, on your looking like at the space bar across the bottom right. And then you've got then it's got the one two three key on either side of the space bar. So mm-hmm. where the command key would be is where it is is. And where the option key on the the right option key is where the dismiss keyboard button is, right? Hmm. So I didn't know that it was in a different place. So yeah, maybe you should take a screenshot and then upgrade yeah. and then see if it's okay, a good that. Yeah, that's a good idea. Let's do that. Let's do that right now.
1: And rounding out the issues here are, a fix an issue where subtitles may not appear in some video apps, and addresses an issue where Bluetooth could become unavailable, which doesn't surprise me because I've had a little bit of an issue with connecting my Bluetooth headphones to my iPhone 10 on iOS 12, and I could not figure out what the pattern was. It seemed like maybe the phone had put itself to sleep or something. It, it never happened if I was... um actively engage with the phone. Like I had unlocked the phone and scrolling through a music app or listening to podcasts on Overcast or something. But I did notice that if my phone was just sort of sitting there and I turned on my headphones to connect, it wouldn't always connect, which is weird.
0: Yeah. I've had a few sound issues on my on my iPhone 10 with 12. I, I'm curious about that too. But it's funny. Carol had an interesting issue yesterday. Like she, her granddaughter always FaceTimes her mother you know, in the morning on her way to school and um, she uses Carol's phone to do that. And yeah. Yesterday it got stuck in in FaceTime like it, the call didn't connect, but Carol's phone the FaceTime kept kicking in in the front screen and trying to connect to this other this or answer this other call or something like that. And so we finally had to force the iPhone to shut down you know with the power button or the side button and the volume down button to get it to to force it to like you know reboot right because it didn't matter what she did she couldn't get the home hitting the home screen home button wouldn't this is an iPhone seven by the way she couldn't get it the home button to work or whatever. So interesting to see if that's another bug that Hopefully these guys have fixed. Hmm. Interesting. Who knows? Who knows? Only Apple knows. Uh, this is just, just literally just in. Carol just brought this to, this story to me just before we started recording, um, and I forgot to put it in the notes, but I just have since done that. Uh, but apparently our, our own Canadian uh, broadcasting network has sent in a bunch of investigative reporters to the Apple stores. I don't know which ones uh, around, I guess, in Canada here. And uh, just a quick little brief story that they're they're uh, claiming that the, um, the Apple Apple geniuses are telling people to buy a new computer or a new piece of equipment rather than pay for the repairs to the equipment that they've got. So in some cases, it would be like $1,100 to a, or and even $100 in labor to repair these things. And yet the reporter took the same computer to an independent repair person and they just found a bent pin inside the uh, the computer and fixed it. So um, we'll have to keep an eye on this one and see what what uh, happens with this story. There's a video here, which I'll have to watch afterward. I'll, I'll link in the show notes for people who can watch it themselves, but yeah, it just uh, just arrived. So um, I don't know. I mean, geniuses, I would think, are in, are in the business of promoting Apple product, and uh, a lot of times, you people may bring be bringing in really old hardware, and, and it may behoove them to do it. But uh, again, you know, once you get out of Apple Care area, you know, like you're are no longer under warranty, the repairs to like a logic board or something like that can be can be quite expensive, right? So you, the justification: Do you want to spend eight hundred dollars on a logic board, or you know, you know, $2, dollars a brand new computer and get more more use out of it it's arguable i suppose right what do you guys think
2: yeah it's it's we'd have to we'll have to hear more to see whether it's it's anyone is actually being malicious or or uh, deceitful or is it that you know apple just has expensive prices for repairs which yeah you know yeah, would be. surprise no one if they did and uh, sometimes, you know, it does make more sense to just buy a new one instead of, you know, why would you pay a thousand bucks to repair a five-year-old, six-year-old computer if you can buy a new one for yeah. only a few hundred bucks more? Yeah.
0: I generally haven't been um, taking stuff in. Uh, the only things I've taken into the Apple store lately and I've seen, hap- seen repaired are the things like phone screens, like cracked phone screens getting replaced, or like I had the, I think they called the lightsaber effect on my iPhone 10 with the green line down the side. And mm. um, and I've seen but Apple does is they, they'll take the phone in and, and actually when they bring your phone back out to you they bring it with if there's another underneath it is like a white box with a replacement in it and yeah. uh, you know so because if, if the repair doesn't work then they'll either they'll sell you that that uh, repair or a brand new version of the phone or like a new like a I don't know if it's refurbed or whatever but they'll sell you a, a, a replacement for less than than you know you would pay for it as, a, as if it was new right but uh, um, but again I'm, as again I'm over a proponent of Apple Care and Apple, you know, on my devices if I can, if I can afford it. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to say. I, I've been in, I've been in the Apple game for a long time, and and uh, you know, um, I know that you know, replacing logic boards is probably one of the most expensive things. And now with the MacBook Pros, you know, the the hard drive is part of the logic board. So you, and you know, you can't change the RAM out anymore. So um, it's kind of if there's something, if you spill water on your computer, you're going to replace the whole lot, the whole logic board, and that's going to cost you some bucks. Right. Or beaucoup d'argent, I heard. Uh, or beaucoup is something that I think her, I heard Harmy say a couple of weeks ago. Do you know what that means, Harmy? Boku
2: boku means Be- very much.
0: <laughs> like merci beaucoup? Like
1: that? Merci beaucoup in French?
0: Uh, was it a refl- re- reflection to, you were talking about having to pay a lot of money in, or have a lot of things, and you said boku in, in an episode a couple of weeks ago. Like beaucoup bucks? I'm not even yeah, sure Yeah, yeah, <laughs>
1: I hope it's not an offensive word, but my understanding is it's just like a whole bunch of dollars. It is. Boku means a lot whole of, bunch. Yeah. Of, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: Thank you very much. Is boku uh, what you just said? <laughs> Mercy. Oh, I didn't okay. realize. That. <laughs> I've literally never seen somebody write down boku bucks, so
1: I didn't realize that it was really? an anglicized pronunciation of the French word. Uh
0: huh. Well, I thought you were being bilingual. What do I? No, mean? no. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> if I end up going to Ennis North, I'm going to be woefully out of place in Montreal. Well, Nice we're gonna,
0: we're, you know, I was actually gonna do the uh, the intro in French, but I'm I'm still working on it. But uh, yeah, because if we're, when NS North comes to Montreal, you guys are gonna have to brush up on your, your français. All right, um, so yes, yeah, so we're at the picorama time, and we've got quite a few picks here. So let's uh, let's dig in. I mean, what do you got for picks? This one is a
1: blast from the past. So uh, the folks at Adafruit are writing about the fact that uh, the logo, you remember the Turtle Graphics Programming Language yeah. from MIT, has been um, open source. So apparently this was on the Apple II computers. That's probably where I ended up using it. But you can see on the uh, PDP 10 um, GitHub repo for, for logo, you can see, I, I'm not even sure, GitHub's acting kind of finicky. It is a ton of lines of what looks to be assembler, 13,450 lines here that you can go and people have actually done pull requests because one of the uh, bits on here on like space war apparently was part of this whole setup so people have uh, added the star trek uh, the original series enterprise and uh, like a d7 klingon cruiser uh, to the pull request so hopefully that gets merged in but it's kind of fun to see the way this was written um, I don't really know PDP, uh, PDP 10 assembler, so I can't really read a lot of it. There are things that make sort of sense as wordy, as like, you know, check buffers, you know, run flag, but some of these other ones like WND left, I'm mean, window left, maybe a couple other things more of a curiosity than anything else. I do remember the uh, pen up, pen down, you know, left, right sort of commands you could put in and try to like as a, as a wee baby programmer, learn how to uh, try to draw something, even like a circle or a square would be sort of uh, complicated as a little kid, but fun. Fun to really like see that with the little turtle logo doing that
0: interesting well lots of fun and I noticed that too that in, in the graphic that they have uh, printed there on the on the image um, the original Apple font too um, with their Apple logo font but that's cool so what's the next uh, pick you got there Harvey?
1: Yeah this is a second pick because I just recorded an episode with uh, Steve Westgarth the uh, conference organizer for Code Mobile UK which is the conference that I'm going to speak at so episode two here is linked in the show notes for your listening pleasure uh, the conference website will probably also have have that linked in the, in the show notes, as well as uh, I'll go ahead and say that tickets are on sale. The conference is taking place in April in Chester, UK, the University of Chester. So if people want to come hang out, say hello, or at the very least, just listen to the podcast. Got yeah. your links there.
0: Get some MCJC t-shirts. Um, um, How much is the conference? Let me see what the tickets are. I think it's still on early bird. Doo, doo, doo. I've seen some, some UK conferences where the prices are really low. Let's see here. Compared to US. So super early bird,
1: which is conference plus the three nights accommodation oh, yeah. is 285 pounds plus 57 pounds vat which i think is their tax mm-hmm. super early bird conference only is 180 pounds plus 36 dollars vat uh and then so on and so forth so if you're in the uk I'm, I'm assuming it's a sort of a no-brainer in terms of the amount of money if you are going to go international um you might have to consider that given uh you know, prices of, of airlines and everything. But um, I'd definitely say it's the sort of thing you could have your employer. So start thinking about getting that lined up, <laughs> right? Start thinking about 2019's conference
0: schedule that you'd sure. like to, to attend and add, deal add it with. to the list of conferences for sure. Yeah, yeah. It looks like, I zoomed out on the map, it looks like Chester is, is uh, just south of Liverpool and, uh, you know, near near Manchester. Sort of in the area that Mick Pingle lives, you know? I didn't know. I, I know very, very little about that geography. And I also did look it up and realize like, oh, I think, I think
1: Manchester, Chester city is uh, in town. So maybe I'll be able to check out a soccer or football game (laughs) as I should call it over there. Um, and yeah. uh, I, I was chatting with Steve, and apparently, depending on when we arrive, um, if things go as scheduled, um, the UK might have just Brexited the wow. like the day before, like March 31st, I think, is the deadline. Don't quote me. I know very little if, at all about what's going on with Brexit. Nice. But uh, that might impact your plans if you're trying to come from the European Union, because they will figure out those rules. But... For those of us coming from outside the European Union, presumably it continues as usual. Uh, <laughs> for example, United States and Canada are probably still the same since, um, yeah, I wouldn't see why, why it would necessarily change. So we're not really involved in that. True. Cool. All
0: right. Uh, I have a couple of picks here. One is a quick one. Um, I think I, and this might actually be follow-up because I vaguely remember talking about uh, iPhone X and uh, layout and things like that. But uh, this is uh, um, from the webkit.org people, um, A article, blog post from last year, actually, on designing for designing websites for iPhone X um, again because of the whole uh, sensor area, also known as the notch, um, you need to have use utilize safe area as well. And so this talks about how to create your viewport settings um, and apply them in such a way that uh, that you respect the safe areas. And there's, so there's a couple of um, environment variables you can set for the bottom and left and right. Uh, so when you're in landscape mode, um, to avoid the padding and also so how how to adjust your style sheets to uh, to avoid the uh, those areas as well so interesting article here. And thats a link in the show notes for people's
1: yeah like they, they can be a little challenging I was working with a web developer um, on a webview integration and it was something that they definitely had to be made aware of. I was like hey this is shoved all the way to the wrong spot on the iPhone 10 let's fire up the simulator to get you set up with that so you can um, figure some of these things out and I don't know if this link came across my my list when I was searching for you know I'm not a web developer I, I did that a long time ago I was like looking for stuff to have and hand over but like look here do this this definitely would have been helpful for for that situation so plus one to your your link
0: oh, right. Yep. Um, my next pick uh, and my final pick of the day. This is uh, I got this from a friend on the Ray Wenderlich team, Darren Ferguson. I posted today on our cool links page that there is now a REPL for supporting Swift packages. Uh, REPL is obviously, as we've talked about in the past, is is part of the Swift language. Um, but this is so you can actually um, have a, a you know, dash dash REPL R E P L hook on your commands on Swift when you're running it. So, if you're dealing with Y, some examples here. They're showing how to use YAML um, examples here, uh, where you know, um, and it will it will let you uh, import uh, frameworks and other things into your um, and use a REPL instead of having instead of having to create a throwaway Swift project or a macOS project uh, for iOS to, or it also works on Linux um, to um, support your uh, your ventures in the land of development and testing. So, um, also lets you import, also lets you use things like frameworks. So, if you're using like Viper or, or HTTP, HTTP requests, um, if you want to serialize some JSON, um, you can do that. And if you want to use Apple's uh framework or JSON serialization to um, deal with the actual uh input and convert it into something usable for you in Swift, you can do that as well. So, this is the new REPL uh switch in Swift language itself running on the command line. That's pretty cool because I I haven't done a ton with the REPL, if I'm being quite honest. I tend to
1: use playgrounds, but... um so funny enough, I looked on Wikipedia to see what exactly does Ripple stand for because I completely forgot since we last talked about it, probably in like early days of Swift. It's Read Eval Print Loop, R E P L, also known as an interactive top level or language shell, which lets you interactively uh, line by line write code. So I can see now why they had to add specific support for Swift packages mm-hmm. to let the REPL be more powerful than it already is. So that's really cool. Cool. So that's
0: that's it. That's my pick. Alrighty. Um, okay. Well, I guess that's it. For of the week again, so hopefully we'll have something exciting to talk about in the future. Uh, but yeah, so Jaime, hi, hi, if people want to get in touch with you on the interwebs, where will they look? I'm on Twitter as @devwithahair. righty and Mark, if people want to get in touch with you?
2: MarkR at Smapsoft.com.
0: Alright, and as I say every week, my name is Tim Mitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine, and that's the best way to get a hold of me. Okay, so until next week, we'll say bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.
1: If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the more than just code website at mtjc.fm. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag #AskMTJC. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes or pledging any amount at patreon.com mtjc. You can find details on how to help us out on our website at mtjc.fm slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.
0: What else is going on besides Apple overcharging for stuff? Let's
1: see what's happened this week.
2: We're having a uh, company retreat next two days. I'm headed up to Napa, Mm -hmm. which will be kind of fun. So the whole company is going up there. They got a big house. We're all just kind of hanging out for a couple of days. Kind of of fun. And the Red Sox have advanced to the ALCS. They beat the Yankees. I know you were on the edge of your seat during the game last night.
0: I probably was. I didn't realize it at the time. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I was enjoying my Pat Metheny concert yesterday. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
2: and and for all you know, some of the members of uh, the Blue Jays might have been in the in the crowd too because that's true they weren't playing. <laughs> that's true.
0: Yeah, maybe they were. Uh, maybe they, they're golf clubs or something. Yeah. So it looks
1: like it's the Houston Astros versus the Boston Red Sox. It is Saturday the thirteenth of October. Okay,
2: it is. Should be a good series. Hmm. The Red Sox are uh, are are the they have home field advantage because they won more games this season. They won one hundred eight games and Astros one hundred three, which is very unusual for two teams who both won 100 games in the play to play each other in the playoffs and it's happening this is it's happened twice now because the seat this series that the Red Sox just beat the Yankees in was another one where the, the Yankees had won 100 games so it's an interesting interesting season in baseball Again, so I see you guys you are falling asleep when I talk about that
1: but no I'm, I'm not <laughs> I just have to I just admit I didn't watch the, the wild card uh, or the um, uh, division series. The divisional series either yeah. but I'm looking here at the NL CS. The National League has the Dodgers and the Brewers. Right. So putting on my. Um, if I was the league, I would absolutely want Boston and LA, the two large markets east oh, and sure. west coast, yep, to, yep. to make it. I'd be terrified that the Milwaukee Brewers and the Houston Astros would
2: be would be there just for uh, TV ratings purposes. Yeah, yeah. Well, the Astros are kind of a popular team now since they won the World Series last year. But Yeah, I guess they, the I guess Brewers, they get some love. Yeah, the for, Brewers for, for being... sure are a small town, small market team. Hmm. Yeah, if it had been, say, the Brewers against Cleveland or something, that would have been not a ratings banana. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah.
1: On uh, Spotcast, Tim was talking about hockey, and the only thing I know about hockey is that we might get it in Seattle in 2020. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're just hoping. <laughs> Apparently, stuff has happened when the NHL and uh, Seattle, we've got things lined up, but it really just depends on other things. So I'm not getting my hope up yet.
0: That is really a long-time follow-up there, Jaime. <laughs> we'll talk about it. We've officially talked about it, so if it ends up on like the show months ago in yeah.
1: 2020, we'll, we'll talk about it. Nice, yeah. Because I'm sitting there and utterly Baffled and confused, and
0: and uh, and asking you stuff. Mm-hmm. Just flipping through some images here on the Comic Con costumes. For the New York Comic Con. We're talking about mm-hmm. people do some wild stuff, like yeah.
1: you know cosplay type stuff. Used to be, oh, you know, somebody was sort of good at sewing their own costume together, and now people are three D printing stuff and using uh, latex professionally and manufacturing pieces that they have to like engineer together with moving parts. It's yeah. it's amazing. How- yeah, for sure
0: Did you see a last week's logo on the on the uh, show yeah was that a 3d printed um, logo yeah I'm trying to I'm trying to prototype a, a, a button design or like a enamel pin design I was playing around with uh, my 3d software and my printer
2: oh that would be kind of cool hmm
0: yeah I've, I've, of course I was playing I was prototyping it bigger than it you know, will be produced but someday there's some nice-looking pins out there. I'm just going to find out where they're, where they're getting made. Like the ones that uh, um, Randy Ritchie just did for the Viper show or Vector show. They look like the ones that they were giving away at uh, WWDC, but, you know, because they have the card, right? Oh yeah, I bet you he was able to ask Apple where they get theirs manufactured. Yeah, no, it was. I think it was done through. That's what I was asking about Dave Wilkes because that was done um, through his uh, community. Um, Figure what they call themselves, but.
2: So I just did a Google search on make pins. Yeah. First thing that came up is thestudio.com custom enamel pins. They look pretty good.
0: Yeah, yeah. I got a bunch of names from different people. Just mm-hmm. trying to find a, somebody who'll give me a price on them. Mm-hmm. Around two thirty-five or something like that for like a hundred. Mm, that seems not bad. Yeah, that yeah, was still for like a die-struck one, right? But I don't know how they make them. So. Yeah,
2: they're probably not hand-painted.
0: No... No. Well, I did I did uh, copper enamel, stuff like that in, in high school, so but I'm not planning on making 100 pins. I could probably probably could, actually, now that I think about it.
2: <laughs> Pinmark has them for a buck a piece. Uh, like three-quarter inch ones or printed or, or die struck. I uh, don't know. Die-struct. Was it Pinmark? die struck. yeah. Well, okay, it's not clear that those are 99 cents mm-hmm. each.
0: Right. It depends on the quantity you buy, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's what I'm finding. Like, it'll take us a long time to get rid of um, 100 pins. <laughs> that's how many stickers i bought last time right so yeah john milker gave me the name of the company that he had his done at i think it was something like that kim pin or i forget what he said but yeah and there are some canadian you know canadian manufacturers who do it as well so i thought i'd ask them especially if Jaime's going over to the uk right <laughs> i was thinking
1: let's <laughs> see how many how many questionable things we can shove into my bag yeah and <laughs> see
0: uh see what the british think when i uh when i show up at their door the gendarmes yeah Yep. Yeah. <sighs> I Maybe mean, I've been podcasting for the last four hours. It seems, or three. Yeah, four hours. No, three hours. I guess. Right. Let's see, since yeah, since six my time. Yeah, with a little little break in between. Yeah,
1: I needed that break too.
0: Anyway, I'll talk to you guys. L- oh,
2: here's John Walker. I'll just talk to you guys later. Okay. All right. Talk All right. to you later. Right. Uh, bye. Bye.